Psalm 16 is the psalm we'll be looking at, and we are making the transition kind of officially this week from my song in the night, or songs of the night, based this series in the psalms, and we'll continue through the psalms, we're going to transition to songs of praise, and that's been the direction we've been headed over the last few weeks, because even as Grace mentioned, don't, don't stay in the sorrow and the pain, but there's a progression to, uh, to the pathway of joy, and uh, we can find it in the truth, and so hopefully the Word has been helping us to constantly make that right uh, choice in our hearts and minds to believe the truth and make that progression. And I chose Psalm 16 uh, as the passage to kind of make the transition because it really has been a significant passage in my life um, since I was converted at the age of 18. And I'm not sure where it started. I, I was actually going to look it up and, and didn't have time. But the idea of having a life verse, I'm not sure who came up with that concept um, or when it became popular, but I guess when I first came to know the Lord, and particularly in the context that I was in, I was in a Bible college, and it seemed like everyone had a life verse. And, you know, when they signed something, they put their verse underneath it. And, and I didn't have a life verse, and I wasn't sure. Um, it's like, there's so many, how do you choose one? And, and so, uh, ended up though kind of landing here at Psalm 16, uh, and verse 8. And we have on our slide today, you've hopefully noticed it by now. Um, but Psalm 16 and verse 8, it says, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And so, uh, this was the verse that I chose in those, uh, first few weeks and months of coming to know the Lord. And not really knowing what would be ahead in my life, and yet it seemed to speak to me about the security that was available in my new relationship with God. That part about I won't be shaken seemed to uh, stick out in my mind as an 18-year-old, not knowing that through the years uh, God would take us, my wife and I, through significant troubles. And I was just kind of writing them down like, you know, sometimes you look back over your life and you're like, uh, these were the big moments. And, and so like from infertility to a house fire uh, early on where we lost everything to failed business investments, a failed adoption, watching children go through deep struggles um, and um, and those are really just the big ones. But then, you know, struggles even of this last year, not knowing uh, that God would have this as part of my life. I was talking with Jeremy a couple weeks ago and uh, just uh, mentioned the comment that, you know, I bet you didn't know when you got married, because they got married shortly uh, before this happened, I believe, if I have that timeline correct. I bet you didn't know when you got married that the first couple years of your marriage, uh, you were going to deal with grief. In, in your own lives, um, that that would be what kind of characterized those first couple years. And of course, the answer is no, you, no one plans that. And when young couples go to get married and, and they make that choice and, and commitment, and sometimes uh, even as you graduate college, married or not, you have like your future ahead of you and you think everything is going to be bright and wonderful. And you do understand that there will be hard times, but you don't really comprehend it. Now, those who have made a few laps around the sun here today, uh, you understand uh, the reality is that, that many hardships come, 
And, um, but yet when you're young and, and kind of idealistic, you don't really understand it as fully as when you do as you get older. But there is the security that we have in our relationship with God that we can bank on the fact that I will not be shaken. David is the author here of this psalm. And he knows that no matter what he faces in life, no matter what hardships and difficulties come and he will go through, that he will not ultimately fail because he won't be shaken. Why? Because God is with him. And so with this perspective in this life, and even as our psalmist will say in verse 10 about even looking towards death where he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or to, or to the grave, there's a confidence and a security that even in death, what is promised will not be shaken. So whether it's the difficulties here or as we move, as we approach the day of our own passing, we have complete security in our relationship with God. And that's such a gift um, to have security. True security is, is such a gift. And that's what the people of our community need to know from us tomorrow night as they pass through our building and through our campus. They need to know that there is a way to have security it's such a rare thing to see in people's lives these days. And we understand why that is the case. But, but when you have a solid foundation in Jesus Christ, no matter the troubles, no matter the pain and suffering, we will not ultimately be shaken. Yeah, we may move a little bit. <laughs> but the security that is there that will keep us and hold us all the way to the end is absolutely sure. And as we started this series, the very first week, there are all kinds of human reactions, natural human reactions to pain and suffering. Um, just as you understand, crying and tears of sorrow is a normal response. It's a normal process. We started this life crying and most people end coming towards the end. There's a tear that's shed. So that is a very human thing. To cry is human. Some, they deny it or try to avoid it, kind of pretend it's not happening, and so they live, live distracted lives. And if you try to kind of pry into those personal areas or those moments of, or, or spots of pain, there's a quick deflection of don't want to talk about that. So that's a pretty typical human response. Sometimes people do get angry because they don't, see the goodness of God and their pain and their suffering. And, and if they don't know God, uh, there's definitely a bitterness and angry, anger that can develop in a life. And then, as I mentioned, many people run to unhealthy coping mechanisms uh, from food to sleep to spending, meaningless sex, alcohol, and other substances. Without the Lord, it makes total sense to run to things like pills and drinking to cope. It makes sense to run to food, uh, to forget self-image issues, or to run to surgery to make up for them. 
It makes sense to run to entertainment or some sort of other you know, means of music or movies or Netflix or whatever to numb what is happening in the moment, video games. It makes sense to run to toys that we think will bring us a little bit of pleasure or maybe even find status on some level. But many of these things point to the fact of true insecurity in the life. And that is there from the beginning. We were made, we were created to not be okay on in and of ourselves. We were made to find our security in our Creator. Life is not really about us. We feel like it is, we want to believe it is, but life is about our Creator. And so we were made to find our security in Him. Now, because of sin, we have run away from Him. But in Christ and what Christ provides as far as true atonement and forgiveness of sins, we actually find in him and in our relationship with God absolute true security. But the folks that we will be rubbing shoulders with, many of them, not everyone who comes to the door will will be in a place where they don't know the Lord, but many of them don't know the Lord and they have not experienced true security in life and yet they're going through the pain and suffering that you are, but without God. And yes, tomorrow it will be a fun environment with a lot of people and many people will have masks on and, and it will be a lot of smiles. But we must remember what people need and what people need tomorrow and people need in the workplace and in the neighborhood and your families that you, that you live uh, with. People need to know the security that comes from God, can only come from God. And when you have experienced it, when you are his child and you've gone through hardship and difficulty, you know the difference. Yeah, it still hurts and it's difficult and it's hard, but it's something that we know for sure and we can be confident in. Now, what we find here is when people don't feel secure, What goes along with that is satisfaction in life. So when you experience pain and hardship, many times it reveals a heart that is not content. So we go through something that is difficult and hard, and we realize that our hearts want relief from it. We are not okay with the package that God has brought into our life in the form of trial, and so we want to do whatever we can to, to see that package go away, which shows that we really are discontent on a very fundamental level. If we were content in God alone and the security that he brings, then no matter the pain, no matter how hard it is, we would still have a heart to say it's okay because God is our all. And our psalm today actually speaks to these two things, satisfaction and security. We have true security. This verse that you see on the screen, it promises it. I won't be shaken. Why? Because the Lord is at my right hand. What that should produce in our lives, no matter the circumstance, what that should produce is a heart that says, Because he is at my right hand, I'm actually satisfied. 
what I have in life currently is actually okay. The grief, the sorrow, the pain, the suffering, you name it. It's okay because I have a relationship with my creator that makes me truly secure. Let's read the psalm together if you would. Um, I'll read it out loud. Psalm 16, verse 1 says, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my portion, the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So we have here, from David's perspective, a, a testimony of the security that is there in his Creator, in his God, and what that produces in him is a desire to be satisfied in his God. So satisfaction and security, that go hand in hand. When we feel like we're not secure, we become discontent and we start to look at things around us to find that security. When things feel like they're falling apart, relationships, maybe a situation at work, maybe a situation that came in your life completely out of nowhere from your perspective and it feels like life just completely fell apart, we don't feel secure, we feel like we are falling apart or we are shaken, we understand the truth is that that's not ultimately the case. If God is our God and Jesus is our Savior, He is there. And we are secure and we are completely settled ultimately. And so therefore we can accept it and say, okay, God, I will be satisfied with this new whatever. I will be satisfied. And so the psalmist reminds us that we can find true security in our relationship with the God and we can also find true satisfaction in him as well. So just a few quick points here as we wrap up our time of worship this morning. Number one, I would suggest from verse one, simply put, Jesus is my refuge. We're just a few points. Jesus is my refuge. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my treasure. And Jesus' people, uh, they are my delight. So, few simple thoughts, but the pathway from songs in the night to songs of praise is finding that in God we are completely secure and in Him we can be completely satisfied. So, verse 1 says, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Jesus is my refuge. The psalmist understands his security 
And with his security comes this idea of refuge, which is a place of retreat. I don't know if you have a place of retreat that you enjoy, um, but in the last few years, mine has become uh, the mountains. I love the mountains. I, I feel like I could hibernate and live in the mountains and be perfectly content. Um, and uh, my wife gets a little worried about me because she says, I think you could actually become a hermit and just live like in the woods. And like, yeah, I think I actually probably could do that. Um, but, but I don't know where your place of refuge, some people like the beach, some people just like to be home, like their, their home is their place of refuge. But we understand that concept on a human level, but from a spiritual perspective, that is what we find in our God, in our relationship with Jesus. He is our refuge. And so when we do have these things that come into our lives... And we've talked about a variety of reasons of why that happens. But when they come into our lives, it is crucial that we run to the right place. And we've stressed from the very beginning, running to the Father, running to our Creator. We run to the place where we are safe and we can find retreat. Jesus is that for us. He is our home. He is our place of retreat. So what that means is when we're tempted to run to those unhealthy coping mechanisms and we all have ours that are tailor-made for us, instead of running there, we actually run to our Savior and find what we truly need. We need to find satisfaction in who He is because He's the only one. Remember, He's the living well. He's the one who offers water that actually, truly satisfies. So the psalmist believes in his heart, even though life for David was difficult his entire life and the consequences that he experienced because of his own choices were there his entire life and even the hardship that weren't because of his sin, but God allowed into his life, his entire life. What he came to understand and what is helpful for us to understand is that in his relationship with God, he could find joy because Jesus is his refuge. Jesus is the one that he runs to and it's appropriate and right. From the littlest tyke, I bet if we were to go out in the lobby here uh, this morning and just sit for a few minutes after the service, probably, not a guarantee, but probably we would find a family walking through the atrium that had a little toddler. And what would happen typically, uh, would, would, we would see, is a little toddler would get tripped up somehow. And, you know, as they begin to walk and, and learn that process, end up on the ground somehow, right? And what happens in that moment? Typically, the toddler will start to feel insecure, or, or that they, they have fallen and they need something quickly and they start to have some sort of tears or some sort of emotion that will come. And then where do they look? To mom or dad, right? We, we as humans, that's what we were created to be like. When we fall, we look to those who are supposed to find, we're find you know, a refuge or security or safety. Like the little toddler that, that falls and they immediately want mommy and sometimes daddy. 
The same should be in our hearts when we experience these things. It's that, it's that natural reaction to look up to our refuge, to our God. He is there. So we run to him with a simple heart that says, God, I need you. The psalmist says, oh God, preserve me. I take refuge in you. In God as a person, God is his home. And so we run to our God. Number two, he also describes what he has come to learn is that Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is not only my refuge, but he is my Lord. Verse two, he simply says it. I said to the Lord... You are my Lord. I said to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. So this is a statement of willingness. And it's a willingness to believe that I am not at the center of my life. Someone else is. So the term Adonai simply means master and Lord. So the psalmist says, I said to Yahweh, to God, the great I am, I said, you are my Adonai. You are my Lord. I am willing to come under you. I am not the Lord of my life. I will submit to you. I will commit to you. Jehovah, you are my Adonai. You are my Lord. But when we resist that, when we feel like we have rights, God, I don't deserve to be going through this. I have done this for you. I have done this for you. I have done this. And we we give our laundry list of all the wonderful things that we are to God. (laughs) Forgetting about that other list that reminds us that actually we're not all that great. When we cling to our rights and say, I don't deserve, this isn't fair. It doesn't go well for us. That's that's resisting God being the Lord of our life. But if we're willing to go low and say, God, life is not about me. It's not about how wonderful I feel. It's not about how much happiness I can have in this life. It actually is about you and your glory. That's what you created me for. Isaiah confirms that. And so therefore, I will submit, you are going to be my Lord. And as you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you understand he's not only your Savior, but as you grow in your faith, you begin to realize, actually, when I came to accept him as my Savior, I'm accepting his authority in my life, and he became my Lord. And as we grow in our faith, we grow in this idea that Jesus is my Adonai. He is my Lord. And so no matter what he allows into my life, whatever sorrows come, I'm not going to, as the wicked do, it tells us there's a contrast here in verse 4, the sorrows of those who have uh, bartered for another God will be multiplied. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I uh, take their names upon my lips. There's a contrast. 
those who are in God, those who are in God's family in Jesus Christ, they don't turn to other gods in moments of questioning and doubt. No. That's what those who, who don't know the one true Jehovah, they look to all the gods of this world, small g's, all the gods of this world to find security and happiness. But what does it say? Their sorrows just increase. Many sorrows will be with that approach, so that's not the way to go. So really for the true believer, for the true child of God, this process of submission must happen in the heart. We love Jesus as my refuge. We love that he provides that, that security and that comfort and that care. But he also is Lord, which means that we actually have to submit and obey. And so finding satisfaction in the very hard fact that he has a rightful place and he's actually worthy of it. Dale's song as it spoke about the sufferings of Christ. He's worthy. And so we accept that Jesus is our Lord. Now number three, from verse two, uh, the psalmist says... um, Uh, At the end there, after you are my Lord, he said, I have no good besides you. And so number three, Jesus is my treasure. Jesus is my treasure. Now, we're, we're talking about a man here, David, who had access as king to any kind of relationship that he wanted, any kind of possession that he wanted, and he had pretty much the highest position of the land. So he had a lot of good things happening in his life. He had a lot of hardship. But there was a lot of good there as well. And that's kind of how, on a different scale, our lives are. No matter how hard they get, there are so many blessings that we still can find in our lives. Simple song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. And what happens is we start to kind of see our perspective change. Because, okay, yes, there's a lot of bad, but there are a lot of really good things as well. And so we have here when he says, I have no good beside you. He's not saying that I don't have anything good in my life. (laughs) What he's come to realize that the ultimate good is in him, in his Lord. I have no good. Jesus, you are my treasure. Everything else is second to you. And when we have that perspective, then actually satisfaction can come. Does that mean we don't enjoy relationships? Absolutely not. Does that mean that we we don't enjoy wonderful experiences that we're passionate about? Absolutely not. Possessions, perhaps? No, those are God's good gifts to us. But they're in the right perspective. We see God as our ultimate good. Look at verse 5. He speaks of it in another way. The Lord is, my, is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. We have here that, that the Lord is the choicest inheritance. What I have to look forward to in this life and in the life to come is Jesus. He is my treasure. Our family is going through the process 
Um, thankfully, my dad is still with us. There's been a few times over the last year that we thought that maybe that wouldn't be the case at this time right now, but he is with us and he's actually doing really well, but it's become the time for him to, to move out of his house. And in the week, next week, he'll be moving out of his home that he and my mom enjoyed for many, many years. So it's a very difficult time for him. But in moving out of his home uh, and selling the, the house and things, it, it became really the time uh, where most families have, perhaps you've been through this, where you start to go through all the items and who wants what. And, and there's seven children of us and, uh, in, in our family. And, and so I was a little nervous about how this whole process was going to happen. Um, but thankfully, with wisdom and care, and, and uh, all of my dad's children are believers, and so with the Lord involved, it's, it's actually been a really good experience. Um, but what, what the process was, just practically for our family, was my dad said, okay, we want every one of you uh, to make a list of all the items that you want in the house um, and, and make your list, and then we'll have a, a fair process of how that'll work, of how that'll be divvied up. And so it's that idea of choicest inheritance, right? Like, I want this really, really special thing. Um, like let's take even my mom's jewelry or whatever, you know, and, and, uh, you know, everyone had their, their ideas, but you know, who knows how it's all going to shake out, but, but it's like you have, um, your, your request, your desire, the choicest inheritance. Thankfully, um, it's going really well and, and, and there's no fighting and that kind of thing and, and, and all the house things are being distributed and, and in a week or two, we'll be in a whole new phase. But the psalmist is saying, God, you are my choicest inheritance. You, which means you are my treasure. We're tempted to find in the many things and options here in an earthbound life, we're tempted to find our treasure right here. Perhaps it's in relationships in an unhealthy way, and it's revealed when those relationships are taken away. Yeah, we can say, I've been married to this person for 50 years, but God has been my treasure, and God is my treasure, and then God says, okay, it's time to take one of them home, and then the void is so real, it's like, was God really the treasure? Now, I'm not, I'm not minimizing loss and grief and pain by any stretch of imagination. But when the psalmist says, you are my portion, <laughs> God, there is no good beside you. Under the inspiration of, of God, he actually means it. Now, because we're all human, and even our writer is human, I'm sure there are days where that was not the case. (laughs) But the goal for God's children is for them to find in Him what they are desperately searching for here and now. Jesus, you are my treasure, you are enough. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. Because it says in verse 11, In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
Now, we don't fully understand what that is going to feel like or what that's going to be like, but the promises are here, and so we cling to them. And so if we want to be satisfied in our God, we must see that Jesus is my refuge. He is my home. He's my place of retreat. Jesus is my Lord. And with that comes submission. Jesus is my treasure. He's worth every bit of me surrendering what I think will make me happy to find it in him. And number four, which I think is a very interesting thing here that the psalmist includes, Jesus' people are my delight. What do you mean by that? Well, look in the text. It says in verse three, as for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. Now, he just said all of his delight was in God. Now he's saying God's people are his delight. That's my point. He's not saying that you, you can't enjoy other things in this life, but they've got to be in the right perspective. Jesus is ultimate. God is the ultimate joy. Everything else is good as well, but it's in the proper perspective. And so he says here that God's people are truly special to him. And I think it's healthy and right for every one of God's children to be in this place where, where we actually find in God's people great delight and joy. Now, I realize that a lot of hurt happens in churches and a lot of hardship. And sometimes it's just pure selfishness. You know, we, we say things like, well, people, they're just not like me. I, I haven't found anyone in this church that's like me. And maybe we should be thankful for that. Just saying. Maybe you should be thankful for that. I have such a different personality. I really just don't click with people. We don't have the same interests. My question is, is that really important in the family of God? I understand it in other social networks that we can enjoy. But is it important in the church of God? The family of God, that we all have similar interests or that we all have the same personality or at least personalities that mesh really well? Or I don't think so. I think when you truly understand what the psalmist is saying here, you put aside your own preferences and your priorities to make room for God's people in, in our life. So God's people actually become a delight Gatherings like this actually bring great joy to our lives. Most of my adult life, I can remember people who have been disenchanted with the church and, and I've had conversations because I've been in ministry since, since I got out of college and, and I can remember conversation after conversation with people who call themselves Christian and, and yet say they're not part of a church and it makes no sense to me. It's not how God designed it. There's not one illustration in the New Testament of a believer, apart from the Ethiopian eunuch, and we don't know the end of the story after he got saved. There's not one illustration of an unchurched Christian in the New Testament. And yet across the Christian community today, people who claim Jesus Christ, you would see them, and many of them are at home this morning, not with God's people, because they think they're perfectly fine to live the Christian life on their own. And it's not how God designed it. And I'm very serious about this. People who get burned in church and they get hurt and then they just write the whole thing off because they think they have the right to do so. We don't. 
God's people should be special to us. It's very clear in John 13, 35, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The, the, the fundamental badge of being a Christian, do you like other Christians? That's the way that you will show that Jesus is actually in your heart. Do you love people? Do you love God's people? No matter their quirks, no matter their maybe even opinions that sometimes are founded in Scripture, sometimes they're not. Personalities, interests. Every church I've ever been in, it's the constant thing. I just don't feel connected anymore. There's, it's always been, no matter what church. I've been in small churches, I've been in large churches. There's always people that from time to time, they come, I just don't feel connected anymore. And then you start asking questions. Questions like, well, are you involved anywhere? Uh, I just, I've been so busy, I, I just don't, and I really don't like to go to those things. It's just not my, it's not my thing. Okay, well, there's a point of evaluation. Are you faithfully attending times of worship with God's people? I try to get there. I kind of slip in and kind of slip out. Okay. Um, have you taken advantage of anything that the church has to offer? Now, and every church is different, but here at Calvary, we actually offer quite a few things for people to get involved in other people's lives and to connect. Things like Sunday school classes. And some of the classes here, they've been together for decades, and there's such a bond. Why? Because they have lived life together for decades. And that's the way it should be. We have community groups where different generations, they meet on Wednesday night in homes and, and they actually share life. And you can connect. Have you, been a, have, you, have you gone to a community group? No, Wednesday nights are tough for me. Okay, we're going to solve that. So we're going to offer on Sunday nights a community group here at the church. For anyone who can't be a part on Wednesdays, we're going to offer one here on Sundays. I think it's going to start in the next week or two. Are you part of a Sunday school class? Ah, it's just so hard to get the kids up in the morning. No, actually, you need to do it. There's multiple Bible studies that happen throughout the week. There are places for you to connect. And there are a lot of wonderful people here that if if we will put aside our own selfishness and we will actually go out of our way to serve others, you probably would be amazed at how many wonderful relationships you could have in the body of Christ. In the last week, I've heard two amazing things. Last Sunday, I was standing at the information desk, and Mark Cato, if you don't know Mark, he's not here today. He normally parks his little chair right next to me. He's my buddy. We're the same age, and, and, uh, and, and Mark has experienced very great hardship in his life and uh, has just a, a joy about him. We, we went for pizza a week ago Monday and just had a great time together. But I, he came strolling up in his little car uh, to near, and, and, and a lady came up, and we were chatting a bit, and she said, um, Mark, let me, let me see your nails. I was like, what? You know, Mark, because of his difficulties, his hands typically stay like this. And so she pried his, he's not here, so I'm more detailed than I was planning this morning because I didn't want to embarrass him. But he she pulled his hands up and she goes, Mark, your nails, they're, they're too long. I'm like, wow, she's getting really personal with Mark today. 
And, uh, and she looked at me and she goes, I cut his nails on Sundays. And I was like, who, who does that? She brings her, her clippers and cuts his nails for him. I was blown away by that. She probably had no clue what the, the effect it had from a pastoral perspective. We have a lot of great people who do wonderful things. And if you're not involved in someone's life, you probably should do that. You probably should get to know them. It's kind of the way God designed it. Because when you do, they become delightful. The psalmist says, the saints are my delight. We received an email. We have no idea who this is in the last week from someone in our community. She says, my name is Susan Clark. A couple weeks ago, I broke my foot in five places. It's been a real struggle being single and living alone in a two-story home. I live in Hunter's Wood subdivision. That's just right back here, uh, just around the corner from you. Yesterday, Saturday, I took an Uber to Aldi to get some groceries, but when I finished and tried to get an Uber back home about 5 p.m., I couldn't seem to get one. 45 minutes later, I started to become concerned about getting home, and there she was. She never told me her name, but she asked me if I was okay and offered me a ride home. There was a very comforting feeling about her, and I accepted. When we got to the car, it turned out that she was with her sister and daughter, and they were in the SUV with a full load. The sister gladly got out of the front seat and moved to the back and made room for my crutches and and self. They were all so kind. We arrived at my home. I thanked them and offered them money for gas, and the driver refused. I gave her a hug, and she hugged me back, and she invited me to her church, which happened to be called Calvary Baptist Church. Some, she wanted us to thank, so thank you, whoever that was. She wanted us to thank the person. That was just in the last few days. But I hear constantly of people who serve other people in this church. They do wonderful things for one another. And no one ever knows. And that's the way it should be. A loving church is a healthy church. And of all places to find love, it should be in the household of God. Because we sing and we say he is the God of love, we should act like he actually is. Because it should come out of our hearts. Jesus, he is my refuge. Jesus, he is my Lord. Jesus, he is my treasure, and his people are my delight. Satisfaction. Where are you finding it? Are you finding it in one of your unhealthy coping mechanisms? Security, where are you looking for it? If you're a God's child, you have it. I have set the Lord always before me. I won't be shaken. You can go to the bank with that one. Satisfaction, security. We can be confident in the care of our God. In the hardest of pain, the most difficult circumstances, we can be confident And then that brings contentment in the care of our God.
secure, satisfied, confident, and content. Would you bow with me as we pray? The pathway from songs in the night to songs of praise is Jesus and our relationship with him. He doesn't go anywhere. (laughs) We're prone to wander. He's there. And when we are confident in his security, we can then be content in our relationship with him and his care for us. Would you take a moment and just ask the Lord to let these truths just settle into your heart and resonate and and encourage you and truly, truly believe that God's care for us is enough. Jesus, thank you that you are a refuge. Help us to be willing to submit that you are our Lord. Jesus, be our treasure. And Jesus, help us to love those who you have loved. Help us to find our delight there. God, we need you. We love you. Thank you for your truth. Lord, correct us where we need to be corrected. Set us right where we need to be set right. Lord, build us up where we're weak. Increase our faith. And help us to keep trusting you, even in the pain, even in the suffering. We look to you, God, and we run to you. In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen.